from a young age, all people are naturally inclined to use intensifiers in order to assure others that we're being honest. Really. I promise. I pinky swear. Yeah, but do you cross your heart and hope to die, stick a needle in your eye? With kids, those are kind of cute and silly, but it continues on into adulthood. It's just that the nature of those oaths change, right? I swear on my mother's grave. Not even sure what that means, but I do know you'll want to make sure that that person's mother is actually dead if that's their oath. I swear on a stack of Bibles. How many Bibles constitutes a stack? Does it take four? If it was just two Bibles, would you lie on that? If it was just one, is it okay for you to lie on that one? Let's face it, when you go to a car dealership and the salesman steers you away from one vehicle and sort of points you at another more, more expensive one, and then they lean in and say, well, this is because I really like you and I want you to know you can trust me, that one's not a good deal. What we ought to be hearing from those words is, I admit I'm willing to lie to everybody else, but you shouldn't think I'm lying to you. The truth is, we live in a world of lies. This sin-sick world began with humanity believing a lie. Satan told Eve, go ahead, eat the fruit, you won't surely die. The consequences of sin is not going to be as bad as you think. And that disobedience plunged the world into deception and falsehood, so much so that in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus looked at some of the most upright religious folks of his day and said, you are of your father the devil. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So it's evident that dishonesty is a product of our totally depraved nature following the destructive desires of Satan himself. And while we want to excuse things by calling them, you know, little white lies, the Word of God tells us there is no shade of truth. There is complete, simple honesty on one side and there is damnable deceit on the other side. In his indictment of all mankind, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3 verse 13, said that their mouth is an open tomb, with their tongues they have practiced deceit, the poison of asps is under their lips. And so now in this Sermon on the Mount, as he describes what it is to live in true righteousness, how his kingdom citizens are supposed to behave, Jesus says to Put away all kinds of deception, all kinds of shading of the truth. The citizens of Messiah King Jesus' kingdom are to speak with simple honesty. We're going to walk through this text in three basic steps. We're going to see the Word of God in verse 33, 
the words of the wicked in verses 34 through 36 and the words of true righteousness in verse 37. He begins with the word of God, verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. So starting in verse 33, we have the third illustration that the Lord Jesus uses for how to live in true righteousness that surpasses the you know, external fake righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Both of his previous examples also began with a statement from Old Testament Scripture. In the first one, it was, you shall not murder, in verse 21. In the second, verse 27, it's, you shall not commit adultery. And now with this third example, this is the first time that Jesus uses an Old Testament command that is not one of the Ten Commandments. Although, as we're going to go through this, we'll find that it actually impacts two out of the Ten Commandments. But it does not come directly from there. Where this Old Testament command does come from requires a little bit of speculation because there is no specific passage of Scripture in the Old Testament that says exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 33. Instead, it appears the Lord Jesus, instead of quoting a specific passage, is summarizing several commands that are found in multiple passages in the Old Testament. Let me read some of them for you. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. It would be sin to you. And even in Psalms, Psalm 50 verse 14, offer to God thanksgivings and pay your vows to the Most High. So now we're, we're, we're safe in making the assumption that the Lord Jesus is capable of accurately summarizing the Old Testament teaching about swearing or making oaths or, or vows or promises. And that's what he's done here. Each one of those texts that we just read speak to the necessity of following through on promises that you make to God or promises that you make in the name of God, right? You shall not swear by my name falsely. You, if you make a vow to Yahweh your God or if you, you know, make sure to pay your vows to the Most High, the, the question that we should ask is, when God commands in Scripture for us to not make false oaths in His name, does that imply that He's okay with us making false, false oaths as long as we don't use His name? Like, dishonesty is okay as long as you don't say the words Lord or God or, or Yahweh or Most High. 
As long as you don't do that, you're, you're free to tell lies. You're free to make promises to people that you have no intention of keeping. Well, of course, that's not what those verses mean. In fact, the Old Testament is also clear. In Zechariah 8, verse 17, God says, Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath, for these are things that I hate, says the Lord. He hates a false oath. God despises dishonesty. And yet what the scribes and Pharisees argued from the kind of passages that I just read where it almost always includes the idea of making a vow to the Lord or a vow in the name of the Lord, they had made this this sort of hierarchy of rules about, well, what counts then? What counts as a binding vow? And what kind of vows were you not bound to keep? So just like they had done with, for example, not working on the Sabbath day, right? We need a list of things that counts as work. Well, with this idea of making vows in the Lord's name, they, they wanted to make up a list of, well, what counts as a vow to the Lord? And, and, and what, what doesn't count as a vow to the Lord? What, what really is binding and what is not binding? And so the scribes and Pharisees taught, here's what counts as swearing to the Lord, but here's... Here's something that you can say and lie and get away with it. You'll see this addressed in the next few verses in our text as it goes on to the words of the wicked in verses 34 through 36. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Verse 34 through 36 gives four specific examples of the kinds of oaths which the scribes and Pharisees sort of debated about whether or not those oaths were binding. By their logic, none of them are oaths in the name of God, And so maybe they aren't oaths you have to keep. You could say to someone, well, I swear by heaven itself. I promise you by the the whole earth. I I give you my word on the sacred city of Jerusalem. or, Or I swear by my own head. The idea there being that you would lose your head if you don't keep your promise. Now, my understanding is that not all scribes and Pharisees would have necessarily agreed that these oaths were non-binding. I mean, let's, let's face the, the nature of how this works. If everyone agreed that saying, you know, I swear by Jerusalem is a non-binding oath, then nobody would ever do that because you would know he doesn't really mean that. He's not really going to do what it is that he's saying. Instead, there, there is this purposeful lack of clarity, this shading of the truth, this subtle deception so that it would seem like you were making a binding oath, but later you would be able to argue against it. So for example, one rabbi wrote that you could make an oath on the city of Jerusalem and it would not be binding, but if you made your oath toward the city of Jerusalem, it would be binding. 
And you ask me what kind of logic he was using, I have no idea. It's just that silly. It's that kind of shading of the truth that Jesus condemns. Leave a bookmark here in Matthew 5, but look over at Matthew chapter 23. You'll get another good example of the way they, they tried to shade the truth. Matthew chapter 23 The whole chapter is Jesus issuing woes to the scribes and Pharisees, but we'll pick up at verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And... Whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and all things on it. And he who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it, right? And so you see there, the idea is, well, you could, you could break your vow if you made a vow on the temple, but not if you made a vow on the gold of the temple. You could break your vow if you made, a, made an oath by the altar, but not by the sacrifice that's on the altar. And as, as strange as all that sounds, it's just representing hypocrisy on their part. This was not really trying to determine what oaths were binding and what oaths were not. This was really trying to determine how to make it seem like you were really making a binding oath when in reality you wanted to be able to break it later. Because we, we recognize if they wanted to make a solemn binding promise, they knew that all they had to do was make the oath in God's name and instead they're pretending to be righteous with God while speaking in ways that they say, whoa, this doesn't have anything to do with God, right? You can't hold me to that promise. I didn't say anything about God when I made that promise. Jesus will have none of that. Go back to our text in Matthew 5 and look at verses 34 through 36 again. Do you really think that you can make a promise that does not have anything to do with God? Do you really think that you can leave God out of the equation? Jesus said, you can't promise on heaven because it's God's throne. You can't promise on earth because it's his footstool. You can't swear on the city of Jerusalem because that's his city. You can't even make an oath on your own head, your own life, Because that is in God's sovereign control. Down to the moment that one of the hairs on your head turns from black to white, that is in God's control. And so think about this. The Old Testament scripture is clear that if you make any oath to God or in God's name, that is absolutely binding. And the scribes and Pharisees began to find ways of applying that to to lie and deceive simply by leaving God's name out of it. 
And here comes Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, very simply, very directly teaching, you can't leave God out of it. It is not possible. There is never a moment in your life, there is no area of this creation that you can leave God out of it. True righteousness demands the kind of personal integrity that displays itself in honest dealings at all times. When can you make a promise and God not be involved in keeping it? If you're promising anything based on who you are, you are a part of his family. You are a child of God and any dishonesty in you reflects negatively on his glory. If you're making an oath by the earth or by anything in it, all the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's part of his creation and your honesty or dishonesty reflects on the creator. If you're swearing based on what you have, you have nothing except what God has given you. Right? He is personally involved even with every hair on your head There is no point at which you get to call an honesty time out and step outside the truth and maintain righteousness. You don't get to play fast and loose with the truth by, well, maybe I can if I word my lie just right. True righteousness never feels the need to have your fingers crossed behind your back when you say something. And so we noted earlier, the first two examples Jesus used came straight from the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. This one doesn't, but in many ways it does. There are actually two commands of the Ten Commandments that are directly impacted by this teaching. The third commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is not simply Don't use God's name to curse. Remember that word vain in Scripture means empty or meaningless. Do not speak God's name in some vain, empty, shallow manner. And certainly that would include making any kind of oaths or promises that you don't intend to keep. The ninth commandment is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Very simply, Don't lie. Don't shade the truth. Little white lies are really huge festering lies. Telling a half-truth is telling a whole lie. And God demands that his people have the kind of personal integrity, the kind of basic honesty, that they would not go about trying to deceive others. This is hard because by nature... We want to tell lies in order to make ourselves look better, in order to avoid consequences of our actions, in order to gain some object of our desire, whether it's money or promotion or or whatever. And yet if we would just embrace honesty, not only would it be a sign of personal integrity, but it also might improve the way we live in all those areas of our lives, right? We might actually do better instead of just trying to make ourselves look better. We, we might avoid the sin that brings those negative consequences. We might work diligently in order to obtain our goals instead of using deceit. The easiest thing to do with this text is to look at the 
ridiculous levels to which the scribes and Pharisees would stoop and say, well, shame on them. The harder things to do, what Jesus calls us to do, is to look at our own lives and see what shame resides in us. We have to ask ourselves if we are willing to be honest in our relationships and just speak the truth, to stop shading the truth when we do our taxes, to reject the kind of dishonesty in our schoolwork or in our jobs where we would go about and not really do the work that we were supposed to. We would try to take credit for what someone else did. To adopt a policy of honesty when dealing with the outside world, even though we know that makes it an unlevel playing field, right? After all, the easy excuse is to say, well, yeah, I'm going to lie and exaggerate about those people because those people are going to lie and exaggerate about me. But Christ calls us to a higher morality than the world around us. Now, as a practical matter, I want to be clear about something here. Jesus does not seem to be prohibiting all forms of swearing or oath-making. Some earnest Christians have read the beginning of verse 34 where Jesus says, I say to you, do not swear at all and have taken that as an absolute prohibition for every kind of oath. Two two groups in particular in history, the Quakers and, and many groups of Anabaptists, have used this as an absolute command and therefore have refused to make any kind of oaths, refuse to, refuse to make any kind of uh, uh, promise. For an example, they would refuse to take an oath if they were going to testify in court. In the in the 1600s, there were actually a couple of Quakers named George Fox and Ambrose Galloway who were punished for refusing to take an oath of truthfulness as a witness in court. Ultimately, that's what's led to, in England and in the United States, when they swear someone in, they say, well, you can swear or affirm, right? They, would, they were willing to affirm. I don't think that's what Jesus intends here. He just said he did not come to do away with even the smallest portion of the law, right? And the law does give standards by which the people of God were to give oaths. So for example, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13 says this, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. Right? So swearing an oath is not sinful. In fact, God himself swore an oath to Abraham in Genesis 22. In the New Testament, we have examples of the Apostle Paul swearing oaths. 2 Corinthians 1.23, he writes, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that, I, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. In Galatians 1.20, he says, Now concerning the things that I write unto you, indeed, before God I do not lie. Right? Those are examples of making an oath in God's name. In fact, in Matthew 26, Jesus is going to answer the high priests after he puts him under an oath. And long before that, Jesus would frequently 
affirm his truthfulness as he taught by saying, verily, verily, or truly, truly. So I, I don't think every time that we should read this as an absolute prohibition against making a promise or swearing an oath or affirming our truthfulness in every situation. This is limited to the specific kinds of situations that Jesus is addressing here. He's not saying that all swearing and oath-making is bad. He is teaching that it is not to be done flippantly and certainly never to be done deceptively. Because the kind of oaths the scribes and Pharisees endorsed were deceptive. Wait, let's let admit it. They were designed to do exactly the opposite of what they appeared to do. Right? They were to present the appearance of convincing people that you were being honest, but what they were designed to do is give you a way to be dishonest. The shading of the truth was their way to make it seem like they would fulfill their promise when in reality it just gave them an out clause so they could avoid it. That is what Jesus will have none of. Verse 37 he shows what the words of true righteousness look like. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, just a note about the translation there at the end of verse 37. Some translations say that going beyond yes or no comes from evil. The New King James here says that it comes from the evil one. It recognizes this evil is not generic. In the Greek language, in Greek, it's actually tupaneru. It means the evil one. And this will come up again in verse 39, not this week, but in verse 39 it talks about an evil person or even in the model prayer, right, and the model prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Satan is a liar from the beginning. Jesus says he is the father of lies. And so any sort of subtlety or deception is in line with Satan's evil will, not with the righteous command of the Lord Jesus. And so let verse 37 sink in for a moment. The scribes and Pharisees were stuck in that debate about what kind of oaths they should make and what kind of promises they could break, how to, how to maintain your righteousness while still being deceptive. Jesus said such a thing is impossible. Unless your righteousness goes beyond that, you won't be part of the kingdom of heaven. And so if we are not to swear oaths like the Pharisees in order to convince people that we're telling them the truth, how is it that disciples of Jesus are to convince people they're telling the truth? What is it that we say so that people know we're being honest? Here's the answer. Yes, no. That's Jesus' answer. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Disciples of Jesus should have the kind of personal integrity and basic honesty that our character speaks for itself. 
If you deal openly and honestly with others and honestly with others in all situations, if you follow through on your promises, then you will find that you don't have to use intensifiers like I promise. I swear, I, I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave. Instead, it's going to be known to everyone that when you say yes, it means yes. And when you say no, it means no. And nobody is going to have to look to see if you've got your fingers crossed behind your back. In his letter, James picks up this teaching of Jesus and reaffirms it to his readers. In James 5, verse 2, he writes, But above all, my brothers... Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Any attempt to try to use oaths or some kind of binding promise in order to convince others of our own honesty ultimately threatens to lead to dishonesty. You could fall into judgment, James says. It is from the evil one, Jesus says. Furthermore, every time that you have to assure someone that you're telling them the truth this time, you're actually admitting that you are fully capable and probably are lying the rest of the time. Jesus calls here for just simple, stunning honesty. Nobody should wonder if it's within a Christian's character to lie. And incidentally, don't underestimate the seriousness of the sin of dishonesty. Since God insists on our honesty by putting it on the same list as he puts, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not uh, worship idols... He takes it seriously. Deceit might be bound up in our heart, but the Lord Jesus changes our hearts. So we don't need to use deception. We do not need to adorn our promises with words like, I swear on a stack of Bibles. We should have a character that simply, when you say yes, everyone knows that you mean yes. And when you say no, everyone knows that it really means no. And anything more than that comes from Satan, Jesus says. It doesn't come from him. It comes from the evil one.